Welcome to the Messy Middle Christian Podcast, made with love and care for Christians who find themselves caught between loving the church and leaving it. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, a speaker, Bible teacher, and author of An Untidy Faith. Consider this limited series podcast your guide to taking ownership of your faith journey in order to disentangle from toxic forms of evangelicalism, create a healthier faith, and reclaim your joy in following Jesus. Hello, hello. Um, You'll have to forgive my allergy voice and my allergy like pauses and um, things like that as we go because I'm still wrestling with that. But I wanted to bring this episode to sort of do an example of um, one belief that I wrestled through. It was actually one of the first ones that I wrestled through. And it's actually when it's not my conviction that brings me insecurity, but it's the process at which I arrived at this conviction that brings me insecurity because it was maybe one of my less intellectual, less scholarly (laughs) pursuits um, because I really arrived at it first from a heart place and then found the head, you know, evidence for it. Um, And I feel good about that. (laughs) But I also know that that is something that, you know, we like recovering evangelicals who have had, you know, Bible believing um, in our sort of ethos, right, Uh, for a really, really long time. And and that's not to say that I don't believe the Bible. I absolutely do. I love the Bible. Um. But that equating Bible believing with a specific interpretation or approach to the Bible is not something I do anymore. And part of that came from some of this wrestling, and that is over women in ministry. And um, and I would just say like women and gender roles in general, but um, especially in ministry because um, it didn't start with sort of like an intellectual exercise, like a lot of other things. Um, or at least the process didn't really involve that until a lot later. Like there was obviously intellectual and thoughtful wrestling and reasoned, I believe, wrestling. But a lot of things I would like recognize a dissonance and then I would like do a lot of study. And here I sort of like recognized the dissonance, wrestled with that through my own reason and then um sort of found that other people agreed and um that it was safe to hold this and then eventually and then as that happened that there was intellectual integrity in that as well um and this is one of those and so the reason I don't talk about this as much is because I'm insecure about that process because it was so different for me and because a lot of the people who criticize um, some of the things that I talk about or other people talk about generally um, want it always to be an exegetical fight. And it that is not always how we come to conclusions about things, right? And so I do this with you in part because A, this is something y'all ask about all the time. And B, I want you to know that it is safe to go about 
rewiring beliefs, even if it doesn't originate through a highly intellectual process. It doesn't mean that there isn't intellectual backing or integrity in the way that you end up holding that thing or um, that there is a way to do that as well. But that is not always the primary place to start, right? Okay, so before we get into how that happened for me, Maybe a little bit of background. Like I said, when I was younger, um, my formative years were in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, very evangelical, very, very SBC. And I was good with that. I had no ambitions to do anything else. Um, even when I went to seminary, people were like, are you going to be a pastor? And I was like, no, obviously not. Can't do that. That's silly. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> and even now I'm like, uh, probably not because, I don't know, pastoring is really hard. But it's not that I don't believe that women can do that anymore. And, um, you know, even in marriage, I was all about like submission and gender roles and realizing my place. I was pretty convinced that I was that I needed to be a stay at home mom because that felt like the biblical model. Um, And so all of that was like part of my paradigm. Now, the marriage stuff kind of got blown up um, (laughs) because my husband is was came to faith in Christ later in life, like in his um, college years. And I say later because like I came as a kid. And so like, you know, 10, 15 years later than me is, is late. Um, He was like late to the party. (laughs) So he came to faith later in life. And that um, then meant that he didn't grow up with a lot of like the evangelical cultural baggage that I did. So for him, And eventually for me, like, it just didn't make sense, right, for a lot of those things. Like, the man is supposed to lead the woman into spiritual maturity. Well, I I was the more spiritually mature one. And I think he would say that. I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't agree with. Um, And, like, so it just didn't make sense. So for us always, our spiritual journey, and then even, you know, the way we make decisions or the way that we interact has always been through a mutuality lens. And that's to his credit. That's not to mine. I was all about the submitting, whatever, whatever. And instead of mutual submission, which is what I, I believe in now, um, that we are both here to do what's best for the other um, and to find you know, equal footing and what is best for us together and not just one of us all the time. Right. Um, so I sort of, we just sort of like established that that was our dynamic. And at the time that was comforting to me in the sense of like, I was submitting to my husband by being mutually submissive (laughs) to him in marriage. Eventually that caveat like went away for me, but that was one of those things that was there. And so then the women in ministry thing sort of came a lot later, like most complementarians um, who are not on the extreme end. You know, I thought women could do all the things that men could do, except in the church, they shouldn't be teaching men, um, like grown men. Um, where that gets with teenagers was hairy, but I didn't really have to worry about it because it wasn't really my thing. Um, they shouldn't be senior pastors or maybe shouldn't have the title pastor. That's just like, that's a little dicey. So that's sort of where I was. Um, just because, you know, the Bible says so. And what really started that unraveling for me, um, 
was in my traveling overseas, um, the, the organization I worked for did a lot of like organic church planting. So that means that um, the churches didn't look like what we have. And so I had to rewrite a lot of my beliefs about church, which is why I spend the last half of the book talking about church, because I think it's important. But like I had to think about the dynamics of church um, and leadership in in a different paradigm, in a paradigm in which it wasn't this like highly resourced um, American, you know, evangelical context. Instead, it was house churches and movements and um, people coming a little at a time over many, many years in really difficult circumstances. And, um, and the thing is about a lot of these places is that women were often the ones coming to faith first, even if it was like male missionaries, it was the women who would come for, who tended to come first. And I think statistically that is still pretty prevalent, even worldwide. Um, and so that might mean that they are laboring, that they are growing, um, that they are doing the work um, co-laboring with the Lord in their areas for years. And with my old paradigm, it would mean that they could be doing that for 10 years and finally a man becomes a part of their church and now he is in charge, right? And I wasn't even extremist. I wasn't on the John Piper, men shouldn't ask directions from a woman end, right? Like, I thought I was pretty centrist in the in the whole thing. Like, just don't teach men, point blank, period. That's it. And it ended up that that just it did not make sense to me over there. Um, like in the same way with my husband, I was the more spiritually mature. Why would we hand over the development of spiritual maturity to someone who themselves was not spiritually mature? It doesn't make sense, especially when spiritually mature people are available. Um, and that it would all be based by nature of their gender or sex, did just it didn't compute. And it would also mean that all of these women were sinful for doing otherwise, right? For doing that thing. And y'all, I just could not I could not do that and I like I could I landed and I was like I just refuse to call this woman a sinner by virtue of this thing like we all sin um but this isn't one of those <laughs> sins it made no sense to me and I just it like reasonably could not get there and especially because I mean to say other like one of my mottos after going overseas, and I mentioned this in my book, is that if it's biblical, it must be global. And so we can work out what that looks like in all the contexts, but if it's bad for women to lead here, then it has to be bad for women to lead over there. Or if it's okay for women to lead over there, it has to be okay for women to lead here. And when I recognized that you know, maybe stubbornly, I would not um, call these women sinful, could not, and I didn't think God would either for doing the work that he has tasked to all of us as believers. Um, 
then I just, I could not for the life of me (laughs) then reconcile that with keeping women from teaching here. Now that then spiraled right into a lot of other things, but it, I'll be honest, it really sort of started with this like recognizing of different contexts and dynamics and and really looking and leaning into the character of God that I know and looking at Jesus and just saying, you know, I just can't say that Jesus is going to condemn that. I just can't. And then it sort of became, and I won't. <laughs> um, it was a really sort of stubborn thing. And then I just sort of like, and then I wanted like what I needed to back up my gut feeling. And I think we do that sometimes. Right. And it's, and it was an honest question. I read a lot of things, some things that agreed with my gut and some things that didn't. And, um, you know, I was okay knowing that there were people who did match my gut, even if it didn't answer every single little question. Um, and so the ways then that I went about looking for my gut feeling and like, I know all the objections, right? Oh, that's eisegesis or, oh, of course you're just looking for stuff or that's confirmation bias. Like, sure, maybe it is to an extent, but I do think that, um, Holy Spirit works in those gut feelings and in those convictions, right? Like we talk a lot, if you're even evangelical, you've probably heard that like you are convicted of your sin, you are convicted of this, you're convicted of that, like you'll feel that in you. If you feel those Holy Spirit nudges, those Holy Spirit pulls, then why isn't this one just as valid, right? And that was really my question. And so from there, you know, I looked at the Bible, of course, as one does. I'm a good evangelical. I looked at the Bible and I looked at it as a whole, right? I looked at all a lot of the stories of the women and how they were set up in scripture, that they led, um, that they were, you know, running households, but also like running businesses and praised for running businesses and running businesses well. And, you know, that they worked diligently with their husbands or that they led the nation of Israel um, into victory, no less. Um, And that Jesus was kind to women (laughs) and even that he gave the good news to women first um, to tell the men um, that even Paul in Romans 16 talks about a bunch of women that he leans on or um, wanted to call out, you know, like a Phoebe who delivered and no doubt taught the letter to the Romans, to the Roman church, um, as well as, you know, the apostle Junia, like Paul is an apostle, like Peter is an apostle, Junia was an apostle, um, and what that meant for women and authority in, in churches, um, with apostolic authority. And so a lot of that then just sort of like felt then like the three verses that talk about how women shouldn't teach or usurp authority, which we could talk about all the details of those things at some point, but we're not going to do that today. And it just didn't seem like those stacked up to the to the bigger evidence, right, of the ways in which women were upheld and put forward and even led in the Bible. 
Um, so I coupled that with like the character of Jesus and the character of God. And I was like, okay, that's enough for me to feel secure, right? To feel secure in, in making this decision and upholding that. And it was since then that I, you know, started digging into all the objections and the problem passages and all of those things. Um, but those weren't the things that changed my mind. What changed my mind was my experience, my reason, and the big story um, of the Bible, the big themes in the way that women are portrayed in the Bible. Um, and so putting those things together was enough for me to confirm that gut feeling and to feel good about it. Um, and then it was a real joy to like look around and see a bunch of women that I knew who were already pastoring in a lot of different ways. And I think that's the other part, like the Holy Spirit isn't gendered. <laughs> um, you know, the word pastor comes from the idea of shepherding, like pastor, pasture, um, and fun fact in the ancient Near East or in Jesus day, at least there were, um, women shepherds as much as men shepherds. And I don't know that that has a bearing on this, but I think it's an interesting food for thought. Um, but the Holy Spirit gifts women with gifts of pastoring. And sometimes they use that in their families. Sometimes they use that in their groups of friends, but sometimes they use that in bigger contexts. And if they're doing the work of the Lord and there is fruit in that, and they're doing it in integrity and character and maturity, I think for me, it became really hard to say that that is a wrong thing because they were doing it right and they were doing it in the right spirit. And that alignment is integrity, right? And that to me was enough. Um, now, there are tons of scholars who have done a lot of work around all the exegetical stuff, and I'll link a lot of them. Carolyn Custis James was f hugely formative in, in nudging me to even to really start opening up on some of that. She does a lot of work around global um, conversations, especially with women and some of those statistics with her book, Half the Church, you should look that up as well as digging into some of the words for, you know, what helper means when God made um, Adam a helper and Eve that azer. If you haven't looked up the word azer, this is a great book to start with that. Or my friend Kat Armstrong has a great chapter in her book, No More Holding Back, about this. Um, if you want more historical record around, you know, the role of women in churches over time, um, Beth Allison Barr's book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, is excellent. She's a wonderful, um, not theologian, historian. And so history is really what she traffics in, and it's amazing. Um but she also talks about some of the bias and some of um, our some English Bible translation committees towards complementarianism, and so that's a really interesting conversation too, um, because translation is interpretation. It is interpretive work. You're making a lot of decisions about which definitions of words and where punctuation goes, and what words and what phrases go with what thing. Um, and so there's it's a lot of debate, and so. That's good. Marg Mosco. I think that's how you say her name. I'll put it in the show notes because it's, um, I feel like there's like some silent word, silent letters in there, uh, who has done a ton of, you know, exegetical and historical, um, and cultural work 
around this issue. She's an incredibly brilliant female scholar. There are male scholars too that have dealt with this. Scott McKnight, Nietzsche Gupta, um, N.T. Wright has done stuff about this. Um, Obviously, if you look to the black church, women have been leading and integral to their time for, to their worship and practice for a long time in a lot of different ways. And so that's another um, place to look if you're looking for within uh, American context. And so there is a lot of exegetical work out there on it. But part of the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I think that a lot of us will have those gut feelings and a lot of us will want to chase them. And a lot of us will feel as though we need to do the exegetical work and we may not even know where to start on a lot of the things that we're changing our minds on and or wrestling through not even that we will change our minds eventually but we feel that resistance that dissonance and we want to interrogate it and i think that is a great impulse and you should absolutely follow it but that not everything lives or dies on an exegetical method right because the other part is that exegesis is still subjective there's a reason why we have a bunch of different traditions that have a bunch of different opinions And so I think there is a sense in which we have to be true to our conviction. We have to find peace in our conviction and we have to act within integrity, within alignment with that conviction. And that matters deeply, right? If you are acting against your convictions, if you believe something to be a sin and yet you engage in it, I think that's worse than not knowing it's in a sin and engaging in a sin, right? Because at that point, it is willful. So that's part of why I fight so hard for people to start making up their minds or to continue to like work through the process. Because I think in that piece, you not only find your own centering and grounding, but you have your anchor point and you are not willfully or unwillful. You're like not willfully or unwillfully doing things, right? And especially because that ambiguity will will trap you in a lot of ways. Because sometimes... You don't want to look into something because you're afraid you're going to come to a conclusion that you don't like. And therefore, you're kind of like holding yourself back from the peace that you want and from even being in integrity with whatever it is you might want to believe, right? Or that you believe to be true, even if you don't want to. And so, I like that's, I truly believe, and I write about this extensively. It's like, I feel like the only thing I talk about is wholeness. <laughs> that holiness is whole is wholeness. That um, you know, it is this alignment of mind, body, spirit, uh, soul. Like that is the work of our lives as people of God. And when we refuse to push that forward for ourselves, we are we are hurting ourselves. Um and I don't know that I would go so far as to say all of that is sinful, but that that really holds us back. And so there are a ton of ways to get to a conclusion and you need to respect your process and maybe your process will even be different around each thing that you do. This for me was not, it was intellectual in the sense that I used my reason, um, you know, and just sort of like wisdom. And I thought about it a lot, but it wasn't intellectual in that I 
dug down every single rabbit hole and looked up every single detail before I made up my mind. Um, for some of you, you are not those kinds of people who are going to pursue that in that way and that you sort of have to chase down your gut feelings and where your heart is. And it will be a lot of conversation and a lot of wrestling and it will be Bible reading and it'll be talking to people. Um, and so I think we really just have to be in tune with ourselves and our own processes and we have to be in tune with, um, what it is, what our goal is. And this like, uh, the pursuit of integrity, alignment, wholeness, um, with God and, and within ourselves, um, that obviously includes spiritual as well as physical things. And as we do that, that's where we find peace. That's us on the journey to holiness. And um, so I implore you to not let the idea that something has to be 100% exegetical and intellectual be the reason that you do not um, find that peace for yourself, okay? Because, you know, your process is valid even if you got to the same conclusion or a different conclusion, a different way, right? Um, so though it brings me insecurity because I'm a, I'm a public person, public-ish person, people ask me about this all the time. If I post about it, people push back a lot and that's their right. That's their conviction. And I respect that they have that, even though I deeply, deeply disagree. Um, and I do think that there is a way to get there exegetically to their point. I think there is a way to get there exegetically to my point too. And so, but because I, I personally didn't get there. So like if I talk about how I became this like fierce advocate for women and all levels of ministry of the church, like it doesn't come from, it didn't originate in that place. Um, but I'm learning to drop that insecurity, not just because I look around and I see a lot of faithful women doing a lot of great work and I love that for them and I love that for the church, but there are also a ton of traditions that also allow that and do that. And I just truly in the depths of my soul believe that when God's people do God's work, God is pleased and it doesn't matter who it is that's doing it. It does matter a bit how, right? Um, that it's not forced or that we're not doing an ends justify the means kind of thing, but that it is that pursuit of integrity in ourselves and in the church, um, as it pushes for the wholeness of the world, um, that is crucial. And yeah, I, I eventually found the stuff that backed up my gut, um, but this one was really a gut-forward conviction for me, and I want you to feel safe finding a gut-forward conviction as well. Um, now, in and you'll also notice that like it was a lot of like reading the Bible and putting together like themes and pieces like that. So it's not like I just sort of like totally made up my mind, but um, before examining. But in that wrestling, I like I knew where I wanted to land and I was hoping that I could find 
that backed up in scripture and I, I truly believe it is. Um, so maybe I went about it backwards, <laughs> but I'm here and I feel really good about that. Um, so that may be a process for you. Now, in my book, I don't take on a lot of these like little detail uh, things. We talk more about like what the kingdom of God is and um, what the gospel is and some of those like big picture things. And from there, I do a lot of like, again, Bible reading. It's sort of like there was a nagging in my gut that led me to then read the Bible and led me into some of those like deeper exegetical questions that then resulted in a change of mind, but that my gut really led the way in a lot of these processes and this one the most. And so that's part of why this one doesn't show up in the book. I do mention that I changed my mind on this, but, um, but I know you guys are clamoring for it and I just want you to have the safety and security and confidence to know that your conclusions can still be valid. Um, even if they start from a place that isn't right out of the pages of the Bible or Hebrew or Greek or whatever. Okay. Um, okay. That is it for today. Thanks for joining this bonus episode and this journey all together. I really appreciate you guys and I look forward to connecting you, um, with you soon. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and making me a part of your journey. If you're looking for a way to remove the toxic parts of the faith you inherited, rebuild your faith on your own terms with global and historical perspective, find your way back to joy in following Jesus, and want a companion who can show you that there is a way forward without judgment, I think you'll love my book, An Untidy Faith. There can be a life of faith after deconstruction. And in an untidy faith, together we'll ask questions that help restore our faith in Christianity and find our way back to living in God's vision for community. This is the journey you are made for. If you want a little hope and help along the way, you can purchase the book at any major retailer or simply go to anuntidyfaith.com. See you next time.